So tonight, uh, there was a lot going on, right? Like I had a, uh, uh, I had a meeting with a, uh, someone to, that we were going to use for our, uh, our streaming. And that is a story perhaps for the, I don't, we don't have after shows, but maybe for like an extended after show, what it is like if you are in the enterprise software business being on the other side of the table, especially with six of your coworkers and, and, uh, the, um, what do they call it? The customer success manager who has a terrible internet connection. And, you know, you're just sitting there talking with this pe- the, the, these people who want to like sell you an expensive enterprise grade thing. And you're just like, oh, I have so much empathy for the people who I'm trying to get to pay my mortgage. <laughs> I, I understand what is going on with them and vice versa. But anyways, so I was, I was busy doing uh, something there, but you know, uh, as, as they say, uh, as the taxi driver says in a total recall, I've got five kids. So the kids had to eat and I was thinking we should order some dinner uh, for them to eat. Cause we're all busy here. We got stuff going on. And it occurred to me that there is, there is a mm, white paper that I haven't read yet about how to properly strategize ordering dinner for your family on a night where you are busy, right? And, and because I went to Uber Eats, right, who's always like sending me deals and stuff like that because I haven't gone into iOS and shut that shit off. And, <laughs> and like I was looking through there and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you're looking and you just want to know like, is there a button that I can push where Uber knows my family and they can just send me some dinner because I don't have time for this, right? Like I don't want, l- like, let me give you an example. I ended up ordering from, uh, ordering some hamburgers, right? Which I don't like. I eat hamburgers. I enjoy it while I'm doing it. And I feel disgusting for 24 yes. to 48 hours afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Okay. My kids love it, right? It's a, it's a good food. My kids don't want to eat spicy Indian or um, Surinamese or Indonesian food, Ooh. right? They don't want they don't want anything like that. That's what I want to eat, right? Yeah. And uh, I also don't want to eat Italian food, like pizza. Same thing as a burger. So, like, I feel like why hasn't the machine learning figured this out? Where I can just press a button, and it's like dinner shows up, and it satisfies everyone in my family. Is is there like some sort of Twitter, Facebook? Gmail OAuth thing that I can click on that this problem can be solved. That, that sounds like uh, like a good um, conference demo app. Look, we wrote a <laughs> <laughs> an automatic dinner yeah. app. You know, because you could throw that throw that on Kubernetes. You get a pod going. Boom! You got some uh, persistent storage of you know the restaurants that everybody likes. Cote, this thing writes itself. But but <laughs> but but I want to ask you too. Like, what do you do in this situation? So, so my family, uh, we like pre-COVID, uh, we did a thing where, that we called like date night, where one of my kids would go out to eat with one of the parents, and we just rotate that. So every month, like each kid got to go out to the mm. restaurant of their choice, mm. you know, and we you know, rotate. And then, you know, because of COVID, we stopped going out. And hold so on, hold on, can, can can I stop you there? Because this is another business model we just invented. Take one of my kids out to dinner, which is to say, <laughs> you're just going to call up Uber and you're like, I'm going to put a kid in your car. Just I like take, it. Take them. To I like dinner. it. <laughs> Gone. Take the dog too. <laughs> exactly. No, no, it's not kidnapping as a service. It's uh, um, 
no, we, we, uh, anyway, cause of COVID, you know, we stopped going out and then it just became, you know, once a month, each kid gets to pick the takeout choice and everyone just, you know, you deal with it. So like, yeah, mm-hmm. we had mm-hmm. burgers this week, you know, yeah, we get pizza once a month, you know, but I like uh, this, this is good. Yeah, it takes the stress out of, you know, trying to do things democratically because, yes. you know, at the end of the yes. day, it's like your family's not a democracy, right? This involves one of the fundamentals in all the self-help books that I've read about parenting, which is set expectations and a pattern, right? Like consistency and a pattern is like what works really well. So if you're like, I know it sucked this week, but next week it's your turn. Right. Yeah. Like you, you, you knew you that you, the burger place. that's right. You knew you were going to have to eat sushi. Right. And like, you knew you were going to have to eat tabbouleh or whatever. So, okay. Okay. That's good. So you set up, you set up a system, right? Yeah. This is like, we have a system in place. Right. 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 And, and, okay. you know, and okay. periodically it's like, you know, when, when, you know, in, in crunch time or whatever, we don't open it up to like, you know, the floor and say, you know, who wants to pick? We just like, mm. you know, parents huddle and the wife picks. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's how it works in our household. So we, yeah, we, yeah. we don't mm-hmm. have this, you know, free for all of spending, you know, an, you know, 45 minutes trying to figure out what to order and get all the orders in. And then, you know, you've, or, you're ordering it, you know, six thirty, and food won't show up till eight. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good principle. This is almost like a uh, Stalinistic parenting, like choice is sorrow. Right. Like you, you, you don't want that. But I do think I I can offer up some stuff. I don't think it's going to help you. Like, cause I have, I have only have one child. So it's a, that takes a lot of uh, the work out of, um, you know, the conflict away. So I will say this though. Uh-huh. My house is sort of like, we've broken it down this way. Like Monday, Tuesdays, I'm responsible for cooking. Wednesday, Thursday, my wife is responsible. And then kind of like Friday, the weekend and Friday, we kind of just do different things, which would be ordering out. But like a lot of times we'll just, default to like let my son pick because it's like fine right we don't care or we'll let him pick and then we'll decide we want something else but we'll still let him get like he can get the burger and we'll like get something different so i think that's a lot it's quite a bit simpler than you do but i do think the one thing i will say um oh on the days that i cook though we generally like have like a set i've a mealy like steaks like that's always on tuesday so it's just kind of known right that's what we're having that's predefined right steak yeah tuesday is steak tuesday so uh, and then sometimes when I find out why won't, we'll have like chicken or something, but like, that's kind of good too. Cause it's just like, everybody knows that's what's on, on those days. Um, so I think that works out pretty well, but I think again, if you have less, I just say, that's just like saying you have less people, you guys have a lot more people. So it's, you know, that'd be hard to reconcile. But I do think the final thing I was gonna say on this is like, I always have what I consider for, for, uh, the kids, right? Like the go-to, uh, Costco, uh, Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets in 12 minutes, I can have chicken oh. nuggets on your paper plate and like, yeah, it won't be yeah. perfect or anything, but it's like, it's just, it's fine. Right. Like it's a satisfying meal when you need something in 12 minutes. Ah, oh, man. You, you know what I have learned? And, and I say this to all of our listeners because one should not have to relearn this because you knew it at some point in your life that fried chicken, always a pleaser. There's nothing better. This episode is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. Are you looking to build your IT skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. 
CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com slash STT. That's cbtnuggets.com slash STT. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. Start learning today at cbtnuggets.com slash STT. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. So HashiCorp filed an S1, which is fantastic. First, let me say, there are a few companies where I'm like, you deserve this, right? Like they, they have, uh, I forget their founding. What is it, 2012 or something like that? Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of lazily read through the S1. And so I, I saw some dates there. But like, I don't know. I've never used any other tools, but they seem to know what they're doing. So that's fantastic. They they somehow avoided whatever happened to Docker. So that's good, right? <laughs> and uh, like they seem generally helpful. Their tools are nice. So far, I like their culture. Like it's cool. And there are many things in an S1. I didn't have enough time to read through it. I didn't have any interns. I wasn't sitting in a hot tub smoking L's with some eye bankers to like go over the highlights. But there is one thing that I tweeted that as I was scrolling through it, that I think is an accomplishment to get into an S1. And that is their, their principles for product and technology. Let me reread yes. that. The way that it is, is it's our principles, open parens, Tau or Dow, however you say it. I don't know. I only speak English and a tiny bit of Dutch and French and Spanish. Close parentheses for products and technologies. Now, if you open this up, you're going to see three, I wouldn't say very, but intimidatingly curious diagrams of what they're talking about. But you go over these other four bullet points, which now that I'm looking at it, I'm not sure why they used an OL instead of a, or I'm sorry, a UL instead of an OL uh, on that. But reading through them, all except for maybe it's the last one, are fantastic. Like, I want to work for that company who has like this kind of like vision and thinking of what they do for uh, how they do their software. So let me go over them. The first one is build for workflows comma, not technology. And what they mean by this is, you know, us in the uh, enterprise copywriting marketing world might say outcomes, business value, whatever. But they're saying the same thing. And they're like, I don't know, people got to do shit. And let's help them do shit, right? Like there's things they got to do. And like, let's feed into their workflows. And and, and not get caught up on the you know, what particular choice was made in that enterprise. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And th- and then the next one is codification, which congratulations for using that word. That is fantastic, right? <laughs> so, but what they mean here is codification to enable automation, right? And like, I think that is core to what Hashi and everyone in the cloud native world is doing is like, if we could just automate all this goddamn bullshit, we could focus on good applications that make people's lives better, right? So very good right there, right? And then you have composability over complexity. Now this one, oh, also very good, right? Like, And so so there's another thing that we'll put in the show notes, which you can get if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 328, you can see the show notes. There was a great post on the Martin Fowler blog 
about how about he didn't call it DevSecOps or the people who wrote it, but it's like how you can bake compliance into DevOps and things like that. Um, and so this is what's going on here is that like if every single component of your overly not overly of your necessarily complex system is good when you compose those things together you can avoid complexity right so every big complex situation that you have right that you do with software and it every single thing can be as complex as you want your life to be terrible right but if you can make each of those components good and then layer on top of that that like the way they integrate together is like simple and nice and good then you have composability to make things good, which is great. And then the next one is like, the fourth one is like pragmatism, which is kind of like, yeah, I mean, we'd all like not to be terrible and do things <laughs> that are pragmatic. Well, it's enterprise software, right? I mean, you're you're dealing with, you know, diverse stuff. You have to be pragmatic because it's all terrible. Right, right. It, it, exactly, exactly. And, and so I think you're right, Matt, right? I think that to call out pragmatism is something that, especially after you IPO and you become a big company, that is something that you want your procurement people to have on that little card dangling next to their, uh, on their belt next to that card they used to badge into the building, right? Like you want them to always think about how can I make this as easy as possible, not as make people not want to actually do something as possible. So in summary, I've, I've, I've like scrolled through, you know, thanks to uh, our friend uh, Chris at the CNCF Music Factory. Like I scrolled through the S1 and this is my favorite part of the HashiCorp S1. And I say congratulations for getting this in. Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Do you have a worn out post-it note with all your passwords on it? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. You can automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. And you can eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by the fine folks at Betterment, Peloton, SoFi, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. Don't take my word on it. Check out StrongDM for yourself with a free demo. Sign up at strongdm.com slash SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, I just want to do a brief segment on something I spent a lot of time on, which is the uh, the 2021 State of Open Source Report. Now, like I said in some previous episode, I get involved in a lot of the the like surveys that we at VMware and Pivotal and when I was an analyst, other people doing. And I spent a lot of time on this open source report that we have, which you can get a link to if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 328. Uh, but it was really fun looking over the, uh, we got like 500 sort of people responding to it. Not sort of people, they were actual people. Uh, but it, the way that I looked at the results of the survey was, how are people thinking about, in my, if I'm operating in a large organization, and as I always do, if you look at the demographics, 
uh, it mostly they are large organizations outside of the tech world in a, a uh, important, as we would say in the uh, iBanker world, material way. Um, it's an interesting look at how people make sure they trust the open source stuff that they're using in production, right? Not so much how they trust it, but the actual things they go through to uh, in their build pipeline to like make sure that they have checked on the open source stuff that they have, make sure they can update it, things like that. And we don't need to go in it at all. You should just check it out. But at the end of the report, there are six, what I like to call sad donuts. And what I mean by sad donut, <laughs> there's a type of um, pie chart that is empty in the middle. It's my favorite type of pie chart, right? And this is called a donut, right? And what you do with a sad donut, for those of you who are putting together charts, a sad donut is a great version of a pie chart because you can put a title of the pie chart in the middle of the pie chart, hence it being a donut because it's empty in the middle, right? And so there are six at the end of this report that look at what people are concerned about if they are uh, doing open source stuff. And it's a good indication of like, if you're looking about how you're, how, how you're thinking about like governing or checking on any sort of package that you're using, you should check on these characteristics. I don't know. So look at that. It's a fun PDF. I'll go into Salesforce and see how many times uh, Johnny Legion has applied <laughs> John, for. A lot of Johnny Legion. Well, give us yeah. one. What's your, what's the, what's the saddest of the sad donuts? Oh, you put me on the spot, Brandon. I well, think, I, I mean, think. Or just any of them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, I think the, the main thing is uh building up the idea that when a security problem comes out how fast is the community to tell us that there is a patch we should apply right and that is ultimate like that's what you rely on a commercial vendor for and what you want from a uh, open source community is that if there's some like bug or security flaw you want some way of instantly telling everyone hey you should really update your stuff right and so like that is a thing to consider if you're doing an open source uh whatever is how would I identify people, uh, not identify, how would I notify people that you should update this stuff? And that's about it, right? Like all of it. And and the thing about the survey when I was looking through it is like all of this stuff, like sure, open source is fine, but it applies to all software, right? These are yeah. all things that we want for any type of software that we have. Anyhow, you should check that out. It's fun. And I wrote a blog post on it. So uh, I don't know. Go luxuriate in my typing. All right. And we'll put a link. Uh, <laughs> we'll make the uh, the show uh, art for this section. You'll see the you'll see the six sad donuts. It'll be good. That's right. Everyone to That's check right. them out. So the other small thing I wanted to go over is it like I haven't, uh, as with HashiCorp, I haven't done a detailed uh, analysis. I didn't go over to like whatever the SEC is running over there. But it looks like once again, the cloud computing world, which is to say everyone who listens to this, the IT people, the nerds, have basically made Amazon all of their uh, money this year or this quarter, which is fantastic, right? So congratulations, everyone take a lap around the block. Your, uh, <laughs> yeah, your, your computer, yeah, your computer nerdness, you're wanting to use their stuff, uh, you know, push them over. Like, like, did they actually file a loss? It was like a tiny bit of yeah, income so they had. We, I mean, I think it's worth giving out the numbers. Amazon, the yeah, parent yeah. company, lost a little bit of money. But the part for, I think, our audience that cares about is uh, AWS generated $4.88 billion in operating income from Amazon, up 38% and more than the $4.12 billion consensus that analysts has expected. Uh, Amazon as a whole ended 
the quarter with 4.85 billion in operating income. So and that, that, that was, let mm-hmm. me clarify, that was for one quarter for yes. three months. Correct. Right? Correct. Yes. yes. You can annualize that, you know, to, just do the math by four. And so, so yeah. So when you kind of, I mean, it's, it's not like super advanced financial analysis. It just says that, you know, all the profit, almost all the profit from Amazon, uh, the parent company comes from AWS. So, you know, it's, it's, it is kind of you know, the question, especially if you've read the Amazon books, right? They kind of started down being the giant retailer and, you know, sort of AWS was just sort of like a supporting technology. And now it's almost like, you know, this giant uh, technology company also runs a small, a, a retailer on the side, right? I For, mean, um, so it's kind of like, huh. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just impressive. I guess that's all well, I was to say. I mean, it's, I, this is not a new observation. I, it's one we made. I don't know, hundreds of episodes ago, it's like Amazon is cloud computing with the gift shop, right? And, <laughs> you know, they're that flywheel, you know, <laughs> that flywheel of revenue is impressive. I, you know, I guess they're going to keep doing retail because, you know, uh, they're employing 150,000 people, but, you know, uh, the the compute is is where it's at. Not just compute. Yeah, and there's a good article. I mean, there is not surprisingly, there's probably one of thousands, but someone wrote a uh, Amazon is is the flywheel, AWS is the cash register. So you can kind of read that. And so I, you know, I mean, that's a good it's a good question. Like, how are all these businesses dependent on each other? Um, of course they have the other stuff like you know, Alexa and the video and all that stuff. So I think inside Amazon, they would say like eventually all the businesses just get bigger and bigger and more profitable. But it it's at the moment. I mean, it stands out though that AWS is being the profit center, and maybe that's on purpose, right? I think that would be the other thing is that they have said they want to invest in the other businesses. So, um, so I don't know. At some point, does like does all do all the businesses sort of like working together become a disadvantage? I guess you could probably make that case at some point in the future that happens. But today, I mean, the company's just kicking ass. It's just you know, congratulations. Well, it's not a lot and, to say, and, and and you know, there's no chance they will spin off AWS. Oh, not unless forced, I think, unless some, yeah. some something happens. But yeah, I don't think, uh, I think, yeah, I think this kind of loosely coupled set of businesses is exactly how they want it to run. So, and, uh, so this, this, this brings up uh, our, our airport business book section of, of the, uh, <laughs> our ongoing series here, which is, so, so the last book we read on Amazon, which was uh, Working Backwards, right? Yep. yep. I, I think one of the things they didn't cover is what we just talked about, which is how do you introduce a culture where you have a business that totally sucks by the numbers that you keep executing on and you keep doing that is supported by this other business over here, right? And I think the last business we had like this that most people know about is like uh, GE, right? Where like the idea of GE was like we have this gigantic conglomerate and we do all these different things from like uh, finance and loans to like turbines to light bulbs and licensing and all this stuff. And we all kind of like we help each other almost like a country, almost like a family to go back to that analogy, like surviving and thriving. Right. And I, I feel like a gigantic corporation is always aspiring for that kind of thing. We're like, well, you know, it's, it's kind of like I was joking with some people about, um, who was it? I was joking with a German colleague of mine about how in America, what we do is we send out these Christmas letters at the end of the year where you sort of like summarize what's happened. And my, um, uh, how can I anonymize this? 
My 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 first special lady friend, she had uh, her family uh, had a friend who would like write her, a family friend who would write this family letter every year. And it was like, we've been doing this. And, you know, Johnny just came out of rehab and Sarah oh. is kind of figuring out how to live with only one leg. And like it was like this kind of like every year it was like this tragic Terrible letter about joke. Christmas stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and and so it's kind of like in a corporate enterprise sense, right? Like you've always got this tragic Christmas letter that you're writing about one part of the business, but you want to focus on like the, the, this other part of the business, this other family member who is thriving. Right. And it seems like at the moment, Amazon is really good at this, right? Like they have overall, their family is cool. Things are great. People love them. AWS makes money, but then you look at other companies and other organizations who like that doesn't work out well. Right. Like <laughs> you, you're, you're using this to set up talking about IBM, aren't you? <laughs> Anyhow, there, there, there's like, it, and, and so like, there's this like switch that goes on in people's minds in business where it's like, oh, so maybe like the other parts of Amazon like lost money and they didn't meet analyst expectations and all that kind of like built into forecasting as Brandon likes to use to explain why people can't just like be paid the same if they work in St. Louis versus San Francisco. <laughs> and so like, like there's all that kind of stuff. And it's sort of like, I don't know, but like, why do these people get a pass and these other people don't get a pass? Right. And I'm not asking y'all to explain it, but it's like this grand mystery of like, but a conglomerate, the reason you have a conglomerate is that so like, Things can go bad in one business unit. They go good in another business unit, and it's all cool. So I'll try to give you an explanation, and you know, maybe we'll uh, when we get to my uh, pick this week, I'll kind of touch on this again. I think you are not you personally. Well, in this case, you are. What you're doing is the example of like the human mind needs to create a narrative mm. about how this outcome was reached, right? And you want it to be a logical narrative and that's what i think a lot of these books do it's like working backwards is a narrative about how amazon is so great when pro when in reality there's a great deal of luck and involved in this right and so i think if we kind of if we look back and you're like seeking a story you will eventually create a story or someone will write a story for you but probably there was a lot of smart people that started these businesses that were highly skilled and at the same time you know, we're very lucky. Like if you go read some of the Amazon books, you'll say like, you know, it wasn't obvious that they were even going to do AWS. And back to the the thing in that working backwards quote was like, there was questions of like, it could, could it ever be a billion dollar business? So nobody involved in the beginning even saw this, right? So, so now you're looking at it and be like, wow, they've done it and they figured it all out. And it's like, well, you know, it just so happens that a retailer and AWS and a, a lot of luck right, all came together. And that's, that's why it's worked out. And there probably won't ever be like a satisfied answer about why did it happen here? And like, we'll just say IBM, like, why did it not happen at IBM? Why did soft layer at IBM not go on to lead it to become some massive success, right? And there's, you know, there's, again, people would create a narrative about why that didn't happen. But again, yeah. different set of circumstances, maybe a little more luck, you know, maybe IBM leads the way. Um, but I, I realized that answer is unsatisfying. So people, you well, know, it doesn't, it, it's not fun, right? To it's, hear that. it's super unsatisfying because you can always come up with the reasons why things failed. You can be like, well, here's a laundry list of things that didn't go right. Right. But then when you look at like, you know, the success of somebody, you can probably make a laundry list of things that didn't go right also. 
right? And, and just and remember, your mind persevere through those, or you know, some combination of, of circumstance and luck that you know they that didn't affect. But them. I just think that you know the biggest takeaway I can say is like the human mind needs a story, and it will invent a story in place of anything else. And so that's always a trap that we can all fall into. Right, so right, like, right, right. So I, I don't know. I think in, in this case, I think smart people, really good luck, and then you know, and then today. It, everything looks like a, a strength, but like one day, and I have no idea when, maybe all these businesses together, much like GE has fallen on hard times, it will be a detriment, right? And that well, may not happen so, for so, 50 so, years. So I, so, so, I think, so I think what you're going over, Brandon, is actually very satisfying in the sense of what it points to is this tension between, and you see this in like uh, Facebook at the moment. Yes. all like, <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's all like, oh, we are a totally different company than this one thing, right? And yeah. so there is a tension in, pardon whatever words I choose here, like synergy or whatever, but like there's a tension between an innovation product invention dri- like driven company versus versus a conglomerate like company, right? So you have a company like let's let's pick on facebook right yes. who has come up with a genuinely innovative brand new way of doing a thing that is successful now i said brand new and successful those are the same thing like those are conjoined right like there were all sorts of people who did the same thing technologically before that but they figured out how to do it right so they did that one thing they're really great at it and now their issue is oh, we should do something new and different in addition to that to support our business, right? And so that is like kind of what they're struggling with now. I don't know. And then like Lawnmower Man or something, right? And, <laughs> and, and then so like, so, so like if, if you look at the, the complete history of IBM, that is the thing that IBM has been phenomenal with, about, right? Is like since... So IBM started in 1898 or something like that. And like they started with cash registers and like scales and then they spun out NCR and then like mainframes and like computers and blah, blah, blah. So IBM has actually gone through this cycle many, many times where they have, I wouldn't even say reinvented themselves. They have added a new type of business that they do that financially and business-wise fits into their conglomeration, which is one of the reasons that I have always admired IBM, right? And so like what they're struggling with now is that how do we find that new business that we add without like fucking up basically, right? right? And well, and that's what they're stumbling over. And so like, and, and that is like, and GE is the same way, right? Like, I mean, GE is Thomas Edison's business, like spun out through all sorts of weird stuff here and there, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the, the fucking invention of electric electricity. That's what GE is, right? Mm-hmm. Never mind like Tesla and all that kind of stuff. And so like they struggle with that as well. Like how do we like expand beyond that? And so that seems like that is like the balance that we always struggle with in the tech business is like we can come up with one like killer product, like the hard hard uh, thing about hard things, right? They have one killer thing and they got to figure out how to escape this fucking like crater fire that they made for themselves by IPOing and they get acquired by HP and then roll that into whatever, which is fantastic. They've done a lot of great work, right? But then like you're a much older, like bigger tech company and you have to 
kind of figure out a way to like, how do we not like tank our existing revenue and like disrupt our existing customers and yet add on this new way of doing things. And it's like extremely hard to make a conglomerate. And then there you are. Like that is like that challenge is something that very few people can ever figure out. And um, I don't know. We should have some sympathy when people falter, falter at the end <laughs> See, after like I, 50 I, or 100 years. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like with what Facebook is doing, there's there's an active number of people, myself included, who are, you know, like, oh, I can't wait to watch this this crater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I mean, let me, let me um, hmm. I forget the, the, the Plato dialogue this comes from, but let me be an, an apologist for Facebook, right? It's Whoa. like, you, you have like aggregated, I, I mean, like, I mean, we, we all know people, right? You have aggregated all this time that people want to spend, right? Like, here we go. Let me make this analogy. Let's call Facebook TV, right? Like TV has all these bad effects, things that people don't like. People pay attention to it. And yet, like, it is a thing of wonder, right? So TV can be, like, warped around and made to be terrible. And yet, like, if we sort of were like, let me come in here, TV, and, like, help you out, right? And, like, put you back on track to make things more generative and helpful and even profitable, right? And I think Facebook's in that same position where, like, it is... I mean, Facebook is like the TV of our times, right? It is the thing that people pay attention to. And so their challenge is to figure out, like, how do I not become, like, Fox or whatever? Like, how do I not, like, screw this up? Right. I think, you know, someone mentioned in the chat, as you were talking before, and I was thinking the same thing. It was like a lot of this is, you know, sort of like the realization of the innovator's dilemma. Like, everyone's read the book. Everybody's really smart. All the people at Facebook, all the people fa facing GE, they're doing it. So like everyone's aware of the problem, the fact that you can fall into a irrelevance pretty quickly, right? And things can change. So what's, what is, I guess, you know, kind of like not discussed in Innovator's Dilemma is like really, you know, can it really be stopped, right? Like at some point, like, you know, the, to your point, even if the leaders know that this is possibly going to happen, you can't get out of the way of generating tons of ad revenue at Facebook. Right. And, you yeah. know, in this case, Zuckerberg is, you know, trying to totally reorient the company around the metaverse. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, but still, just because just because he knows about it and just because he's putting forth another strategy doesn't mean that he won't just end up falling in the same track. And you, yeah. you can say the same thing about IBM. I think, you know, IBM, you know, many people saw the cloud at IBM and they try to do the acquisition. It's not like it's not like people don't know what's happening there. It's just like, it isn't, there isn't like some easy way to fix it. Right. And you kind of miss out on it. And then of course there's lots of examples where like, you know, Apple kind of missed out on the PCs, right. Won it back in mobile and, you know, uh, Microsoft sort of lost on a mobile, won it back in Azure. And so that's why you kind of see them kind of skipping. So, um, and I think, you know, in the case of IBM too, we should probably say there's probably just some survivor bias. It's like, you know, that maybe there were a thousand companies to say in 1900 that started off and one just happened to make, you know, 120 mm. years right yeah, yeah, yeah. and that doesn't mean they're going to go another 120 but it's just like you start with a thousand something will continue on right and so um there's probably a lot of luck in that happening as well yeah i always like apple as a reference for uh renewal because it's like put yourself in a coffin and bury yourself six feet under and then if you can like 
do that whole sort of like uh like beat yourself up to the top of the ground you will survive and have, have, have <laughs> and have a corporate life well there was there was actually interesting you know ibm's like an interesting uh, point i think today was they spun off most of their services business it's now trading as kindrel i think on uh, the mm. stock and so to your point about and someone made the point that you know I, I can't remember how many years ago it was but it was something like at one point microsoft and ibm were both 200 billion dollar companies and since then, Microsoft, at least today, has gone on to become the most valuable company in the world at like just over $2 trillion. And IBM is now worth like $100 billion, right? And so yeah, the, the eternal optimist would be like, well, you know, this is the moment, or I don't know, you could say, you know, IBM is like, here's the moment you can buy an IBM and maybe in 10 or 15 years, there's a story of an incredible turnaround and it's worth trillions of dollars or, you know, maybe not, but it. It will not, it doesn't seem obvious now, and it will only seem obvious in hindsight if something like that happens. Like, this will be the moment. Like, let's say the Red Hat OpenShift, you know, product spawns something, you know, just phenomenal, or quantum computing comes out, right? And we'll, and we'll all be like, yep, we kind of, you know, we, we, we saw it coming. Like, yeah, it makes total sense. Or, or maybe nothing happens. They just go to 50 billion, and we'll all be like, yeah, we all saw that too. You know, they were kind of winding away. You just never know, I guess is my point. Yeah, I, I, I think the most important like uh, business case study of the past 10 years is probably Microsoft to figure out what they did because I have no idea, but they fucking figured it out and it's fine right now. Well, the story there, right? I think the, the story everyone likes to uh, kind of retrospect, retrospectively uh, uh, tell is that, well, Satya, uh, Satya, what, Satya, Satya Nadella? Right, anyway, Satya, the CEO. Yeah. You know, they basically say, well, they hired a new CEO and he changed it because that's just a really easy way of story, right? It's just like, oh, he was the one, right? Because like we like to attribute these things to people and great leaders. And we just say like, he figured it out. He's the one that that knew they should move to the cloud. He set them on that path and put in the strategy. And that's why it's successful. Of course, probably if we dug into that, you know, that's right, probably right, not right. exactly how it went down. Right. That, that's why I said 10 years, right? Because like you, like you got to go back to like everything that Balmer set up and like stuff he was putting into motion and his staff and everything. Balmer right? knew, man. It was always developers, developers, developers. Developers, 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 baby. So uh, Ignite from Microsoft, speaking of them, happened uh, this week. And I used to go to those conferences. They were great. I love that. A Microsoft conference, you know, the, the best conferences you can go to, Adobe and Microsoft. Very nice. I love those. So now I read through the uh, kind of the roundup blog post that they had there. It looks like they're doing a lot of stuff. But what I wanted to ask you, Brandon, I know you follow this stuff closely, right, in your role, what you're doing over there. And it looks like what, what Microsoft is trying to, doing, tr trying to do is that if you want to have Azure in your laptop, they have something <laughs> called an ARC That's right. that I could have on my desktop. Now, obviously, I'm being a little jokey here. Right. But like Arc is their name. And I think it is a fantastic piece of branding if you're in the Western world. Right. Like I I don't know what they think over there in APAC uh, where they don't know the uh, Old Testament or I don't know where that's not a primary source. But like the <laughs> idea of Arc is that like, you know, we need to escape this public cloud. We're going to go on our own. It's private cloud. So my my sense is that like. There's a couple of questions I have here. One is like, what is Arc, right? Can I like, can I like go to Amazon and get one in two day delivery and I'll have an Arc? <laughs> like, is that, is that, is that what it is? And I, I know I'm being corny, but like, I'm 
also not being corny, right? But the other thing is, is like, is the intention of something like Arc or I forget what Amazon calls it and other people. Outpost, like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is, uh-huh. is the idea that like you can have an exact duplicate of our cloud uh, on a laptop or on a rack or in Matt's case, like a Beowulf cluster in your closet, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I don't know about Raspberry Pi. Pies. I yeah. don't think that's a supported and platform yet. So, but, so, uh-huh. so let's start with that. Like, like, what is Azure Arc, Brandon? Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I think. That? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, I think they're all. Everyone, uh, I guess the big three there: GCP, uh, Azure, and AWS. They all have it now at this point. But essentially, they're all slightly different. So in the case of Azure Arc, you you can't quite order it on Amazon, but if you order. Uh, if you get a PC, maybe from Dell, you know, maybe that's a good example of like, uh, that's uh, has the supported hardware. You can basically put it in your data center and then I'm just going to like oversimplify it. You basically connect it up to your Azure account and then you just say, hey, I want to run some workloads from Azure on this hardware. And that's basically setting up Arc. And then it's not everything, but a lot of the it's things that can run yeah. on Azure can run uh, on your hardware that's in your data center. And then they want you to manage right. it. They would prefer, although this gets into like the more the wonky side of it, right? It's like, they want you to really manage it. Like your console of consoles is still the Azure console. So you'd still log into Azure and just kind of see the these, so, so, another so, set of so compute for you. Your your mom is a SaaS. Yeah, right. But then okay, just, okay. A, just a quick aside though, <laughs> uh, just a quick aside though, but there are then you have now, a, uh, if you'll, if if you'll pardon me, you have, you have mm-hmm. a, uh, you have a sassy mom. That's right. They're, oh, they're well said. But just to be, because I know some people will point this out. It's like, there are times like government entities where you want it to be disconnected in most GCP, AWS, and Azure. I, I, I think they, they call that offer, uh, air gap. Am that's I right? right. There you go. They all generally offer some way of doing it. And there are varying yeah. levels of complexity to actually do that. So I don't know. But I think the way that they would want you to do it is like, hey, you know, the whole multi-cloud, private cloud, hybrid cloud kind of story is like, hey, please go ahead and install some set of hardware in your data center. You can yeah. run your workloads there, but you can still utilize our infrastructure and our services when you need it. And I, and I, you know, it's, it's interesting kind of back to some of the stuff we're talking about before. It's like a lot of smart people all arriving at the same conclusion, right? Like Anthos has a story just like this. Yep. Amazon has a story just like this. I mean, they are, and the details are a little different, but the overarching concept is exactly the same. So, right, right, right. Um, Arkham Myanthos. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Only AWS seems to be, they're the ones that tend to be the ones that talk about the other clouds less. Like, Azure, because well, the the others talk about running their stuff on AWS. Yeah, stuff. I was gonna say it's just about <laughs> strengths. Like, I guess when you're number one, you don't acknowledge that I'm competition. When you're two and three, you say absolutely, you can run Anthos, you can manage workloads from GCP and Anthos in AWS as well as Azure, right? And they're fine doing that. So and that would obviously right. run and, all, and, and you can run all of them on VMware. You're you're, yeah, and, you're reminding me that like when I was uh, you know reading through the news, this is starting to feel like the uh, the Unix wars of the early 2000s, right? Where you've got like not the Unix wars, but you've got like Unix and Windows and Linux and all these things, and like all these different like um, cloud providers like have their own thing. And it's and like, eventually, like they all sort of are like, oh, you should use all of our own stuff. Because right? like, <laughs> yeah. like you, you don't want to be that guy running AX on Spark. Right, right. Which, which, which like, I don't want to bring up our traditional every episode, here's how systems management works, right? But like, 
eventually we get to the uh, heterogeneous cloud, which is, uh, I don't know, that's a whole, that's a decade of fun. Well, in some ways, it's a callback to your, your comments on uh, HashiCorp earlier, right? It's like, yeah, so you have $3 trillion companies just throwing haymakers, right? Like, but they pretty much are agreeing on the same feature set. And then you have someone like HashiCorp is like, hey, we just acknowledge uh, the pragmatism. Like we acknowledge you're going to have all of this and our tools are designed to help you solve all of these. So that's, you know, that's their positioning. Their position is like, yeah, we're going to actually take the problem that you don't want to talk about and we're going to, we're going to own it. So, um, so yeah. So in the end, you know, I guess, you know, the, 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 maybe the biggest question is just, you know, we are starting to like arrive back to like where we started, where we started at the beginning of this journey. It's like first everything was going to move to the cloud we we're going to get a lot of developer velocity. It was all going to be simple. And then we're like, well, we want a lot more flexibility and we need a lot more services in the clouds, which we're now getting. And now we're coming back to actually, we want to actually have the hardware inside our own data centers for either privacy concerns, you know, because we think it costs less because organizationally. So it, you know, it, it does. I think a more cynical person, or maybe I am that person would ask like, you know, did, like when we started this, when we started this journey to cloud, it's like, I don't know if this is exactly where we were supposed to get to, but we're here. So we'll make it work. Yeah. Well, the you, cynical you, person is there's more money to be made if, if I can sell you stuff to run in your data center, because then I can charge you twice as much for, you know, the same amount of effort. I think that's true, but people want it. Like, I mean, yeah, this, I know, this, I know. I'm like, just saying know, like, you, you know, know it. It'd be cheaper to run this in the public cloud, and people are like, "I don't care," and they're like, "Fine, I'll take your money." Yeah. Well, I think AWS is the best. I mean, the Jassy. Uh, go back to the AWS reinvent. You know, where Jassy sort of announced this, and it was like, I think they were the, the the longest holdouts. I think they never wanted to do this. I think they think this is the wrong vision in general. But even they relented finally, right? They're like, "Well, we got to do it." So there's money, you know. There's yeah. I mean, at some point, it's just well, I think there's both money, and they've also got to a point where like we're just not going to grow to a level we want to if we don't offer this. And so yeah. that's why they did it. And can't it's let, like can't let the other haymakers have it. Right. Yeah. You can't you can't let this uh, go unchallenged. So so I don't know. I mean this is another kind of like interesting question in like five or ten years, like will we look back at this and be like, oh no, this was sort of a, a cold I mean, back. Well, like, we well, went we down it, we made our it, life too hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to see the numbers broken out because I, I would I bet good money that like uh, Azure and and GCP make more money off their on-premises stuff uh, percentage-wise than Amazon does, right? Amazon's mm-hmm. like, you know, we're you know, just keep coming to the pure cloud, and the others are like, well, we got to scrab- scramble more for that on-premises stuff. You know? hmm. hmm, that'd be well, uh, definitely relative. I don't know. I guess we'd have to... I mean, they probably won't break those numbers out because then you'd see how like, oh, you know, for all these huge arc announcements about on-premises and stuff, it's five percent of revenue, right? Yeah, I think today, I mean, it's fairly new. So, I mean, I would expect small numbers. Um, but I think in maybe three years would be a good example. Like, is this something like, does every large company, if every Fortune, say, 250 company has some version of an Arc or Outpost or, you know, Anthos on-premise, it will make sense. If not, I'd be like, yeah, this was a cul-de-sac. We kind of wasted our time doing this. We'll see. Yeah. I, I I like that ratio. I'm going to call that the uh, the Ray Wichard ratio, which is for the uh, how many are in the the upper right hand thing? Like five for the gigantic global cloud providers. How many? Are, what what is the ratio between your public versus private cloud ratio like uh, revenue? And I think that for, is for, very in- yeah. Brandon's the ver- private cloud denominator. <laughs> I, 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 no, 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 you came numerator. 
you came up with the, the with the idea, uh, Matt. So like that's why like I've combined them both, right? Like yeah, because yeah. Brand, Brandon is always like, people are going to buy this. That's what's going to happen. Oh yeah, right? I, I agree. But I th- I think it's going to be, you know, in, in the big picture, I think it's going to be less of a revenue driver than the amount of press release it gets. Yeah, yeah. No, that would be a fascinating Because what else are you going to talk about? Like, you know, AWS is going to be like, look, we've yeah, got added yeah. our 79th machine type. You know, that's not an announcement. You know? <laughs> be- because, because my theory is that, Matt, you are absolutely correct that AWS is, is going to be like, you know, 95% public cloud, right? Yeah. Like that is what they want. Whereas the other ones are going to be more like 85 Right? right, like right. there's going to be a significant like difference between the two of them. Now, obviously, they're going to want like public cloud, but it's going to be very instructive as far as. Well, remember, you're all, even like, AWS what is going to have want to do. But just yeah. to uh, you know, re- okay, just to go all enterprise on you. Remember, just remember, like AWS is going to have some monster private cloud deals. Like yeah, the CIA, they're going to have yeah, some. Yeah, whales. CIA right. has one gigantic is that, yeah. is that, is that yeah. public or private right i mean well i would just say that's especially a private... cloud yes to me right. it's the, the, public cloud right because okay absolutely right. well, and, and and this is why we got to like take the outliers out right like the outliers yeah. not interesting this is like why i'm always like i don't fucking care how spotify runs shit that doesn't matter right like that is not relevant to how you will appear if i want to load or not right yeah. like yeah like and so like you got to take those outliers out and like yeah. the CIA, like any sort of like unlimited funded government spying institution, not relevant. But just remember, I, I'm okay with that. But just there's going to be, you know, a bunch of there's going to be like maybe each one will have 10 giant one of these. Yeah, like, they're, they're, they're going to have some whales. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but I think I think okay. Amazon's still going to the, the gravity's still going to be public. And and I think, yeah, I think yeah, Microsoft yeah, yeah. especially is built for that enterprise on-premises hand-to-hand yeah combat. that's good that's yeah. a good prediction man now that's now good. now on the other mm-hmm. hand to be my mm-hmm. overly nice self brandon maybe those spy those spies have something that we should all learn from right like if if they have like spent all this money on like a private on-premises like aws i don't know right like like maybe they are actually like uh doing something that's uh helpful for other people so we should toss them out for sort of like the tam analysis but also kind of pay attention to like why they would do this kind of thing which reminds me i saw some headline that the as our favorite contract the jedi contract was finally Mm -hmm. won by azure now no it was no it was uh they just they're gonna do the whole thing again no one won it they took it all away it's starting over Oh, man, that is—they're the probably ult- going to just break it into. I think we even talked about this on the show. Like, I think what they're going to do is just break it into. That is the ultimate. Smaller. That is, I think that is the ultimate. Again, and 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 Amazon got yet another private cloud offering. Like, uh, you know, just in the meantime. Well, in the end, I mean, it's like we've all been. I mean, we've all sold stuff to the government. Like in the end, the government is going to own everything. It's just sort of how it happens. It's like I mean, I know that's not what they want, but like they'll just end up with everything. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we got to wrap up here. And right. before we do that, there is, I'll put it in the show notes to reference it one again, which is at uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 328. There is a great article in the uh, on the Martin Fowler blog about compliance and DevOps culture. Everyone should go read that, right? Like anyone who listens to this podcast for this long, uh, you should go check that out because it really is a very 
It's a very thorough covering of what it means to do. They never say this phrase in there. I didn't search for it, so maybe they do. But it's a very good overview of what DevSecOps is and like everything that you would think about with it. And I think four ways of doing it from a technology perspective. It's fantastic. It's uh, the best. So you should go check that out. Now, with that said, Brandon, do we have any bureaucracy to go over? We do. Uh, I wanted to let everyone know I mailed some stickers to, I think it's uh, Stefan in Berlin. So happy to do that. Uh, I just want to let you know, if you would want a sticker, just send me your postal address to software to, uh, stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I'd be happy to send you stickers anywhere in the world. Also, I want to let you know that Brian wants you to work at Red Hat. And they have a bunch of, uh, looks like, senior product manager and principal product manager jobs in security. So you can go join the Slack. You'll find all the information about that in the jobs channel. You can probably ping brian he'll even tell you a little bit more about those jobs also uh want to promote some of my own work here uh we did an interview with uh jack the ceo and founder of panther labs that was pretty uh really good conversation that was very interesting um a couple of things like we talked a lot about at security at scale but you know a couple other things i just wanted to point out that i thought were interesting is like one uh Matt, kind of a shout out to your own job your old job uh, basically learn programming via chef and then his use case was basically to deploy Chef for security reasons. So essentially deploying a bunch of security software on that. So I think that's, I don't know, Matt, you can tell me that's a common use case, but it was it was interesting to hear him kind of like tell his kind of, um, it's not so much DevOps, it's more about learning about scaling through Chef for security reasons. And I was like, ah, oh, this is good. I want to see more good. of this. I'd like when people uh, talk about that. And he also uh, built out Stream Alert, which is also, I thought of you, Matt, too, sort of a, I don't know, kind of a shout out to, to what you're doing now, using kind of Lambda for the transforms and stuff like that. So that's an open source project we talk about, and you can actually learn learn about it. And then uh, he does have a pretty strong take. Somebody pointed this out in the Slack. He's got a pretty strong take on uh, open source business models kind of toward the end. So I won't spoil it. You know, you can, uh, you can listen to it if you want to hear his take on that. But I thought it was pretty good. And then finally, I just wanted to say, uh, who's going to AWS reInvent? I'm going. So uh, some people in the Slack said they're going. And if Maybe we can uh, organize some kind of informal get-together there. So if you're going, find me in the Slack, send me an email, and uh, I don't know, at least maybe we can find a place to have a beer or do, do the appropriate social distance thing, whatever we're doing there. So that's all. A lot of, a lot of bureaucracy this week, but that's all of it. Well, I want to give a shout-out to Brian, who I think over the, the past few months has really been uh, upping his participation in our Slack channel. There's a lot of stuff that he's done that I, I really enjoy, so you should keep it up. I like it. And, well, I'll go uh, one more then. Hey, let me go one more. It's like, yeah. I know, Kote, it's not your thing. You're not into it. But like, there's a sports channel in the Slack. It's a small uh, channel. I don't know there's what you're talking about. What? We're what? But we're like, Matt's in there. I'm in there. And Brian is, I think Brian's best content is in the sports channel. <laughs> uh, but I know most people don't like sports. So therefore, we will not talk about a monkey, Austin, Texas, and football. We're not talking about this week. But if you want to know more about that, join the Slack. Join the sports fair channel. Enough, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. You, go yes. on. People should do what they like. That's my motto right there in Latin. So there's also several conferences going on. So we have the uh, MongoDB conference up in London, November 9th. I'm going to be speaking, let me think, to make sure I'm comfortable with myself. Next week, yes, November 11th, there's a uh, conference called Dev Oops, which I'm not sure why they have two O's in there, but whatever. I have a, a talk that I'm I'm slowly putting together called Kubernetes is not for developers. And I want to kind of like explore that idea. And uh, you should check that out. And then also, we have uh, submitted several talks uh, to the that conference in Texas 
I should say Round Rock, uh, on January 12th to 20th uh, that you should go to. Check it out. It looks like a really great conference. When I was applying to it and filling things out, it looks pretty fantastic. I don't know how they put it together, but it's a good uh, collection of stuff that they have. So uh, look into those. And with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Yes, this week, I mentioned it last week, but I'll make it my officially my recommendation this week. So I've read this book called The Sex Success Equation, and uh, I, I am going to call it the uh, the spiritual sequel to The Halo Effect. So I probably talked about The Halo Effect too much on the show, but it's all about kind of how we attribute the success of, you know, to specific people or events, but really, you know, maybe that doesn't go always uh, the case. So The Success, success Equation, if I could say it, uh, the author really goes to the next level and kind of talks about kind of the, um, if you will, the interaction between skill and luck. And I thought it was really good. In fact, he even mentions the halo effect kind of the in one of his talks. So the book's a lot. I mean, you kind of have to be into it, probably a little bit dry for a lot of people, but there's a couple other things that I, I discovered. There's a podcast interview with the author, and there's also a YouTube talk uh, that he does at Google. So if you just kind of want to like, you know, hear mm. what he has to say, you should uh, check it out. And I think his probably most interesting point is the paradox of skill. So that's just sort of like, as a group of people get more and more uh, experienced and, uh, if you will, uh, get more skilled at a certain activity, um, then luck starts to play a bigger role. So I'll just kind of like, you know, we talk about monitoring systems all around and and I can, we kind of joke about it as like, you know, all of these people are now building really good monitoring systems. And I think as they all get closer in feature and functions, um, then who's massively successful is a lot more luck than I think it is necessarily skill. But that's the hard part. It's like you have to be really skillful to play that game. So lots of good com- uh, thoughts in there. I think, you know, some people go to therapy. Some people go to uh, a church to find these ideas. I like to find them in business books where it's just like, oh, you can't always control everything. Some things are up to luck. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, check out that book. Uh, if I read that on the back of a book, I would buy it instantly. <laughs> that sounds good. How about yourself, Matt Ray? Uh, well, I have uh, a book and a, a soundtrack. Um, I, everyone in the U.S. And, and elsewhere is getting to go see the new Dune movie. Uh, Australia is the absolute last country on the planet to get the movie. So I'll see it next <laughs> month. Okay, I've seen um, it four times. Fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> Love it. But, and uh, and I've now started the audio book. It's fantastic. Uh, well, too. So yeah. I, I, uh, I just finished rereading uh, Dune, the first book, and started uh, reading uh, the sequel last night. But... Um, the guy who did the soundtrack uh, for the movie also did the soundtrack for the art and soul of Dune, which is a uh, art book about the mm. making of the movie. And so it's like a two, uh, two hour plus soundtrack. Uh, put the link on Spotify. If you like, you know, kind of droney, uh, vaguely Middle Eastern music, yeah, it's good for reading to or working or, you know, whatever. Uh, I've, I've been enjoying that. The art and soul of Dune companion book music well so my recommendation i've got a couple of things i want to go over here three one is uh there's a book that i read recently last week and i read it in like two days called laser rider two and it's a book of pseudo fiction it's based on like some sort of real events but it's a book of basically about a um a 1990s new york-based mac repair shop and that's it like, I don't want to spoil anything else. It's a fantastic book. If you listen to this podcast, you will love that book, right? So you should all go buy it and listen to it or read it. I read it in the uh, physical copy. I actually ordered a book that like opens up 
with pages that you turn. Oh, so good. I might go reread it. And also, I, uh, I've i been doing a lot more little like tiny videos, uh, you know, less than two minutes and 20 seconds. And so I put together a playlist of, of all the ones I've done over the past like year and a half or so. You should go check those out. They're fun. I like them. I like to sit down and look at them and I'm like, oh, I remember doing that. That edit is fantastic. So it's uh, it's a fun thing to go through. And then also I have uh, been watching um, because my um, speaking of a year and a half, my year and a half old daughter loves the movie Frozen. I mean, who doesn't love that movie? It's the perfect movie. Right. And so I watch that all the time. <laughs> And so I almost have everything memorized. And what I realized is I should turn on the Dutch si- uh, subtitles. So I've been watching all the Dutch, su- Dutch subtitles of what they say. And I'm trying to like memorize, at some point, the Duke of Weselton, as he likes to say, says that he dances really well. And he dances like a chicken with the face of a monkey. And I feel like if I could say this phrase in Dutch, <laughs> I would be done. Right? So allow me to try to say it right now, which is, <clears throat> hold on. Als ein kip met het gesunk van ein ap. So I'm trying to perfect saying like a chicken with the face of a monkey in Dutch. And I think everyone should try to do that. So that when you come here to Schiphol to do whatever you want to do here in Amsterdam, you can, the the very nice, very fit, very fantastic border guards will ask you how you're doing, look at your passport. And you, if you say that to them, they will probably look at you strangely. But then you'll say like, that's the one Dutch phrase that I know. And they will be like, have a good time. And you'll go through the doors. So nice. that's what I got for you. So as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 328. You can look everything up that we've mentioned. And uh, I don't know. Somehow, if you're not in America, try to watch Dune. Because that's what I would like to do. Send me a DM. <laughs> I want to see it. Bye-bye. Bye. As I get older, I'm very confused about dogs.